Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with John Peebles. John, do you want to give a quick intro about yourself? Sure, Tony, and thanks for having me. And apologies in advance. I've had a bit of a cold, so uh, my, my girlfriend was like, are you going on with your voice sounding like that on a podcast? And I said, yes, unfortunately. So we'll try to keep uh, the sneezing and sniffles to a minimum. But uh, yeah, really happy to be here. My background originally was... Uh, like a lot of people in tech, as uh, I trained as an engineer. Uh, so I went to college and uh, did a computer science degree and actually had a specialization in AI. That was my claim to fame, I guess. Uh, and and then got involved in startups over the last uh, couple decades. And, and now I'm the CEO of a company called Administrate, which is headquartered out here in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh, that's cool. So um, like, how has the business landscape changed in recent years like particularly around uh like you know, regarding the the adoption and, and uh, integration of ai in the workplace yeah it's it's been really interesting uh you know from an academic perspective and you know there'll be a lot of people on the listening to this that know better than me but you know we we trained on a lot of these techniques in the late 90s early 2000s which were even at that point relatively mature well understood areas like neural networks and and so forth machine learning expert systems all that kind of thing um and i think at the time it was kind of the the cold dead winter of of ai uh, a lot of this stuff had been kind of written off or at least there was that idea that we'd reached the limits of where we're going to get to and 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 so forth and so what i thought was really interesting over the last decade is as compute really got a lot more powerful and we got different compute engines like you know nvidia cards and so forth gpu processing and, and just various different ways to to start to use and deploy these techniques which have been around for a long time you started to get these kind of overnight breakthroughs <laughs> and and uh what i've really been interested in is you know, there's a lot of hype around large language models like ChatGPT and so forth. And I think that that hype to some degree is is deserved. Um, but it, for me personally, it's been really satisfying and interesting to see these implementations of various other techniques of AI uh, all across different, different platforms and pieces of software and watching it make its way into the land where we play out, which is enterprise software is, has been very interesting. And, and I think that it's very exciting because you can you can really start to see it's great that I can generate some avatar for myself on my phone to you know send to people and we laugh at but it's really really cool when you can deploy that type of tech at a large enterprise scale that can affect you know impact hundreds of thousands of employees and millions of customers that type of thing there was a recent survey by Vizier where it showed like 77% of respondents, employers encourage the use of um, AI in the workplace. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Like, does that align with what you're seeing out in the industry? I think so. I think we're getting a lot of questions from our customers as to, you know, what is our strategy? How are we going to help them deploy AI and things like that? Um, and I, I personally have a bit of a contrarian view maybe on this, uh, which is, I think that a lot in, in so we administrate is uh, software that helps large enterprises basically deploy training out to their workforces or their partners or their customers and do it at scale. And we tend to focus initially on classroom training activities, which actually is the majority of training done in corporate America today. 
um, and uh, and a lot less on e-learning, which is where a lot of the focus of our industry is. And so in our industry, there's a lot of hype around, you know, AI is going to help. These large language models are going to help uh, push out tons of new content. They're going to help kind of shorten down that that cycle of, from idea to building the content to getting it into people's hands so they can learn. And I think that that is interesting and it will sh- for sure accelerate and, and make people's lives easier. Uh, but where we are really interested in is in the land of uh, what I refer to to my mom as boring business software, which is where we play, but it's really important. And a lot of the stuff that we're uh, kind of talking about and discussing with customers and and getting people to think through is how can we use AI to actually uh, leverage the data that we have and look at the the business challenges that we have and actually function like a decision support system, if you will. And so less around the generative AI kind of hype train and a bit more around let's actually dig into data that we have that's locked up sometimes in systems that are spread all over, all over the place and, and start using that in, in new and interesting ways to, to alert us to, to areas where we might be able to improve or move a business metric or things like that. And that is, we have not seen as much chat around that in, in our marketplace, uh, but I, that's where I get very excited personally. So I'm curious on what you think on about the, uh, the concerns about around AI replacing jobs, you know, especially given the significant like time savings that a lot of um, like people in the industry are reporting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I have a slightly contrarian view on this as well, because, and like a lot of people I've dabbled in a lot of this stuff and, and, you know, I've always wanted to be uh, somebody who could draw (laughs) and I just, I can't draw. I haven't put in the time or effort or whatever. So it was super cool to be like, give me some, you know, amazing fantasy, you know, landscape cyberpunk thing. And I, and I get like 15 of these drawings back, you know, and that was really cool. And I enjoyed that. And I think that somewhere uh, people that are drawing those things might feel threatened. And and that's probably true to some degree uh, that that's going to change the way that we interact with art and things like that. But I, I kind of feel like it just, just by way of background, I grew up, I've got an American accent and American passport, but and I now live in Scotland, but I grew up in Asia, in China. And so I lived most of my life there before I went to, to college. And I think having grown up in a country that at the time you could hire a full-time person for about 30 to $40 a month, you know, and that would be a real knockout, like great person that would just do a good job at whatever it was that you needed. Um, I feel like and, and maybe some of us listening relate more to this around the website Fiverr, right? Which if you don't know, it's a website you can go on, you can say, I, you know, I need a business card designed and, and you can find all these people from all over the world that are doing a great job and they'll turn around and design for you pretty quickly. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great. And I just feel like AI is kind of like a slightly cheaper <laughs> IE, which we would call it in China, which means anti, you know, you could hire a person and they could do a job for you or a Fiverr person. And, and I think a lot of this is just, it's just a, a continuation of a trend, which has been a lot of this work has been getting commoditized, or at least there's a race to the bottom for the last 20 years. And it doesn't really matter 
if the AI gives you your business card drawing back in a minute or 30 seconds versus Fiverr, which you might have to wait overnight, it's it's effectively the same leverage. You know, I'm not spending any time on it. I'm spending very little money. So I really don't think that there's too much transformation left in that area. You know, in China, for example, there's these factories and all it is is people painting thousands of the same painting that will go in the same hotel chains and so forth. And so, you know, it, it, this has already happened in my view, what, what I think is going to happen is I think the bar will be raised um, for analysis work. I think the bar will be raised in, in many subtle ways, you know, walking in with a stock PowerPoint or things like that is not really going to be the norm five years from now. And, and I think, that's just a continuation of what we saw from the 80s where, you know, you, you didn't walk in, you know, we don't walk in with black and white, you know, printer paper that has holes on both sides anymore. We we have nice laser printed stuff. So I, I think this is evolutionary in many ways, not necessarily revolutionary. That doesn't mean that there will not be pockets of massive revolution, but I think they will be more focused. And I think that the general kind of commentary around AI destroying tons and tons of jobs is is a little bit um, early. And and like, look, two years from now, somebody will probably be like, ha ha, you said this and we're all out of jobs. And yeah, I st- uh, I'll, I'll be corrected then. Yeah. Uh, have you ever tried out the uh, uh, chat GBT's Dolly 3? Um, that's yeah. Like the, the chat uh, GPT Pro it is spectacular. It, um, it's awesome. And it's great yeah. for stuff like if you're running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign or something like that, it's amazing. Really is incredible. Yeah, it's actually, it's really interesting because it's the only um, image generator that actually generates words onto the images that, that it doesn't have like the squiggly yeah. um, like wording. It's actually like correctly um, lined up straight and it looks fantastic. And um, you know, I, I, I got together with some buddies and we were building out logos using it and it is just absolutely spectacular. Cause actually, um, when you give it a prompt, it gives you like four images. And then if you click on an image, it actually tells you the exact prompt that it used for that image so that you can like reuse it or tweak it. Um, that's, that's something I've never seen before. Um, and I encourage a lot of like the viewers to at least give it a try. If, if you have a chat GBT pro subscription, uh, to try out that Dolly three, yeah, image generator. That super cool. I was doing. Uh, <laughs> we took some pictures of of my flat, and we were like doing the old vintage travel posters of like you know visit visit John's flat, you know, for like a dinner party and stuff like that. It was it was amazing, like what it could what it could do. So very cool. Yeah. So I'm interested in um this uh this method of using AI and enterprise training. So um I guess like why use AI, especially um, in, within enterprise training? Like, how does that compare to other sectors? What's your yeah. take on that? Yeah, so, I mean, there's huge buzz in enterprise training about deploying, you know, the gener- on the generative side of things, like content and, and you know, repurpose the content that you have in this video into, you know, something else. And I thought it'd be very interesting. But we we're less interested in content because we view ourselves much more as infrastructure, right? So a a large company will buy our learning and training infrastructure, and they will use it to glue together a bunch of systems they already have, like learning management systems and survey stuff, and maybe lab products, whatever. 
and will will also be the data repository for a lot of those systems because you know there's just not a lot of places to put uh, data around you know what, what classrooms are available and what courses require this and so forth and so we're much more in like the resource planning section of the the training uh the, the training problem and what that means is there's a couple of classic ai problems that need to be solved uh in the context of training so the probably the biggest one is around scheduling uh so you if we remember back to our computer science days uh we will remember the traveling salesman problem right and and this is a classic ai problem of you've got a salesman they've got 52 customers that they need to call on what is the most efficient route to do that and you know, it is very, very difficult to uh, figure out the most efficient route because it's an NP hard problem, which means that there, you can't actually prove that your solution is the best, but you can iterate on it many, many, many times and, and hopefully get the one that is the most optimized. And when you think about uh, the scale of this problem, like our, our customer Dell, for example, runs thousands and thousands of classes, and these are physical instruction classrooms they might be zoom rooms uh, like we're on right now but uh, they'll they'll also often be physical classrooms that have equipment and teachers and people that need to be there at a certain place and time and just getting that schedule uh, put together so that it works right just that's very difficult just to get a schedule that will work with everybody else's uh, constraints uh, and then getting the most optimized schedule is a is an extreme challenge for for our customers. And often before having to administrate, they will put you know 20, 30, 40 people working on this for a couple of months to get next year's schedule put together. And even then, they'll know that it's just not optimized or that it's in, it's inaccurate. You know, they'll they'll just know out of the couple thousand instructors that they have, four or five of them at least will have forgotten to update their holidays correctly, right? And that will put a big uh, challenge in the works. And then companies like Dell are acquiring companies, you know, one a week sometimes. And so you're going to have to overlay additional training on top of that schedule. So that scheduling challenge is where we've put AI in play and again, it, it's a it's a somewhat boring sounding problem, but this can this can save companies millions of dollars. It can uh, help run tons more training through the system for the same cost. Uh, there's there's no end to to benefits there, and uh, and that's a very focused application of AI that that we're really excited about, and that uh, you know it can save 80, 90 percent of the the time on that on that whole that whole pain painful operation that they go through. Okay, cool. So, like in in like uh, in what ways has AI influence uh, been most significant in reshaping this like training landscape? Yeah, it's it's still very early, and I think one of the challenges of deploying AI on a training landscape or in a learning environment is the lack of a system of record that most training teams will not have. Right, most training teams, even at very large, uh, sophisticated companies are doing things in a very disjointed, disconnected way. Uh, they might have one LMS, but often they'll have multiple learning management systems. 
These are usually e-learning focused only. They are not connected to anything. And as we know, the, the most important thing to feed to an AI is data. And so just getting the data marshaled and put in a format that is consistent and so forth is probably an impossible task for, for a lot of folks within the industry. And so that's a huge barrier. That's a huge impediment. And so actually, one of the biggest pieces of our AI strategy is to not focus on AI at all and actually just focus on integrating and being that system of record with all the tools and things that will that will be used by the training team so that we can then be that infrastructure that some AI that they find or some application that, that they want to use can grab the data out of, um, and they've got that one spot to go to. So actually, we're really, really intent, intentionally building the, the roads, the sewer systems, the plumbing, and so forth that we, other AI companies' tools will hook into um, in order to facilitate these types of things. Because <clears throat> there are thousands of AI companies out there that are working very hard on, on their thesis every day. Um, a lot of those bets will pay off. Some of them will not. But we they will all need that infrastructure. And that's so that, that's a big piece of our strategy. So can you like um, elaborate on the tangible like time-saving benefits um, that like AI can bring to train departments? Yeah. So back to that scheduling example, um, we've got one customer uh, who would put about 25 to 30 people in a room for about six weeks working away to get their six month schedule. And then after that, their yearly schedule. Um, and so you just, the time that they, they were and, and effort that they were spending on those folks' salaries for, for that amount of time is a huge number. And we can cut that down to, you know, a couple of iterations that are 20 to, to 50 minutes long, right? So you get, you, you can iterate way faster, you can get a better plan, and you can know that it'll at least it, it will work, right? And, and often be very optimized. So that's just like one very quick payback that you can get um, by, by using a tool like that, that's deploying AI um, and, and putting it on your training operations. Cool. So um, how's your company like administrate leverage AI to help these companies in the, the training um, sector? Yeah, so we so we build that scheduling product, right? Um, that's that's a core piece of our offering. Um, the second thing that we do is basically we will we will build the integrations. Most of them are off the shelf that that customers will use, but they'll will be that integration point that they can hook their tools into. So we have customers that have. Uh, basically used um, various chat bots to tap into the content that they have and so forth. And they're, they're getting that out of the ministry. We don't necessarily um, uh, serve all that content out to, to folks, but we'll, we'll have it in our, in our database. Um, and, and then for us, like there, there's some pretty simple ways that we've used actually as a, as a company to engage with our customers. Uh, and there's a love hate relationship with this and it's, it's not without controversy, but for example, when, whenever we release features, we re release features, um, usually, uh, every couple of days, uh, but we wrap them up into a monthly roundup. And that monthly roundup is actually voiced by an AI assistant that we, that we call Leslie. <laughs> and, you know, that saved us tons of time. And we've had customers say, you know, Hey, what? how are you guys doing this? And so we'll, we'll say here, here's how you do it. And that's a quick way to, to generate a lot of great content. Um, you just type up the script and then you don't have to worry about it misspeaking or filming it 
22 takes and all that stuff. And, and so there's, there's a lot of examples that we've seen pop out over the last kind of six to, to nine months that have been very compelling. Well, um, so other than like the scheduling issues that they have, like how does like AI power tech help simplify uh, training it in these like uh, departments? Yeah. I mean, one of the ways, one of the things that we're looking into and investing quite a bit of um, uh, thought is around the idea of decision support. And so we talked about the scheduling that that's great. We've talked about being infrastructure for these, for these AI uh, uh, connections and, and various other apps that they want to incorporate. And then the third piece is around decision support. And what I mean by that is the analogy I normally give is we, we've all seen uh, Star Wars, uh, the episode four. So the, the first old movie, right? The, uh, the one where they um, doing the attack run on the, on the Death Star. And if you remember, as the X-Wings go into the trench run, uh, they have a computer that like comes down and, and it covers over one eye and it tells them the distance to when they need to fire the shot, right? And so uh, you can use the computer to fire your tor torpedoes. Uh, or if you're a Jedi, you don't have to. And like Luke, he ignores it and he fires it and hits and he's really great. And so that, that worked, right? But it's there. And so that's what we think a lot about in, in terms of how we deploy AI, AI is we do not necessarily, we know we won't necessarily have all of the information that's needed to make a decision. Uh, but we also know that people are imperfect and sometimes they're not thinking or the right frame of mind or, or really considering they're moving really fast. And so more and more, we are trying to build in ways where as you're making decisions and as you're doing things, you know, you're rebooking a student or you're scheduling an instructor, we want to bubble up this decision support right within the UI and, and just hint and say, Hey, you know, this, this, instructors probably the best for these reasons, you know, and we will, we'll be surfacing reasons like they're, they're free because we're hooked into their calendar and they're highly rated because, you know, students really like them and, and so forth. And they maybe even cost less than another instructor if they're outsourced. And it's, it's all that stuff that a human can do and can do very well. And maybe they can ignore it and so forth. But also if you're moving really fast and you're new at your job, or you just got to get something done, it's kind of nice for the computer to, to surface that stuff for you. And so that's, that's really where we're looking to incorporate um, AI more and more in our product design decisions is we want the human to still remain firmly in control, but to have this array of information around and and even even to like a, a deeper level a lot of this stuff you know the the training there there'll be constraints there'll be constraints around high value equipment so a lot, some of our customers like Maersk they have uh two uh bridges for ships they do training for ship captains and so they're these big you know like flight simulators but for boats and you go in there and the windows are computer screens and so forth and you got to pilot a boat and uh, you know, make sure you don't block the Suez Canal for, you know, a few weeks. And, and so that equipment is very expensive and they want to make sure that it is chock full of ship captains training to learn how to sail down the Suez. And they don't want a minute of time to be wasted where somebody's not in the simulator. And so basically using AI to say, hey, if you reshuffle a few things, we'll be able to keep that simulator maxed out is, is those are the types of applications we're thinking about a lot. 
Can you uh, provide a couple more like real world examples of how AI has transformed like resource allocation um, within like a training context? Yeah, I mean, the best one is that scheduling one. And I know it seems somewhat simple, but there's a lot of different ways to think about how, why is the schedule good, right? Um, and and that answer will change depending on the motivations of the customer. And so actually, when we are, are implementing the solver with customers, we are starting to tune things um, that to, to the parameters that, that make sense for them. And so I could probably give you a few examples within that scheduling problem, which, which I find interesting. Um, you have some customers that are like Maersk that I mentioned, where they want to make sure that a resource is completely slammed, not a minute free, that is success for them, right? 100% utilization all the time. Uh, and and that will dramatically reflow how you schedule things, right? Because you will you will break your course down into modules that can be moved around to the front, middle, or end because the scheduler or the uh, the ship bridge is the is the real thing that you're you're trying to to optimize for. Um, we have other customers that want to use the equipment. Uh, as little as possible, right? And these might be disposables. These might be things that uh, are expensive that that they don't want, or or they might be um, things that will will incur a lot of maintenance wear and tear. And so they only really want to make sure that 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 equipment is used when it's absolutely necessary. Maybe at the very tail end of your certification, um, and and you know that that success for them when they can use that use that resource as little as possible and know that it's at the right time. And, and so these are pretty difficult problems to solve, actually. And they're very difficult when you're trying to solve them at scale. And often you'll have these resources that might even be shared in an overlapping way amongst amongst different regions. Uh, because, you know, the, the UK will send their students to, to Denmark, for example, uh, to do the simulator piece of their training, but do the rest of the training back in the UK. Um, and so I think it's just thinking through you know, if you're, if you're listening, you're thinking through, do I have a scheduling problem or not? I think the short answer is you do, right? Uh, because uh, just getting a valid schedule is is almost impossible if you don't have all those data points. Like one of the one of the key things that has to happen to get a great schedule is you just have to know the availability of everyone. And that's actually very difficult. Imagine like 2000 instructors, what are you going to do? You can check all their calendars for every day that you're trying to schedule something. It it's not going to happen. Right. And so by, by integrating those calendars with our platform, you know, the, the computer can see all those different data points and actually start to to build that out. And I think that, so it's, do I have a scheduling problem? And then, and I think the answer for most of us is yes. The second would be, what is that costing me? Right. And where is that hurting my business? Um, there are a lot of examples that we have, which, um, and I, and I can just give one from our own company uh, where we we were tackling training in the, this classic lens of activity-based measurements, which I think is a trap that people everywhere fall into. Um, for So we're a software company. Uh, if you buy Administrate, you can also buy access to Administrate University, right? And if you do that, you get an upgraded SLA and it's a good deal for everybody, right? Um, and we launched this and it was a few years ago and, uh, we were really excited about it and we used our own software to run it, of course. 
And uh, the VP in charge came back after we'd launched and said, hey, you know, the first two weeks we got like 50 customers went through this and and we're all like, hooray, you know, that was a great job. And I think they got a couple of emojis on Slack, right, <laughs> in response to this. And uh, and and then the, a couple of weeks went by and they said another 50 customers went through and, you know, that was great. And even more Slack emojis. Uh, and then a month went by. Uh, and they said, look, we, we did what we do with our customers. We hooked administrate up to Zendesk, which is our ticketing system. And, um, we, we basically saw that for customers that had successfully completed training, uh, and that the certification program that their support ticket volume went down by half and their net promoter score went up by 20 points. And it was like, oh my God, <laughs> like at that point, by, by looking at what the training was doing to a core business metric that I really cared about, we were like, we're going to double that budget right now, today, right? I'm not even going to ask the CFO because it's a no brainer. And, um, and so that right there is the cost of not having the data available to make decisions. And that was, that was a human bubbling up that information and a human making that decision. But we're very excited for AI to start bubbling that up and saying, hey, did you know that this is the business metric impact of that training over there? Why don't we do more of it? And, and that's where we get really, really excited for the future. And again, it's I don't see any jobs being displaced by any of that. It's just people are doing better jobs and doing them, doing them, you know, on, on a much larger scale in a much more consistent way. Cool. So like, uh, I guess other than uh, a reduction in the support tickets, um, like how do you, uh, how do you like AI powered uh, trainers and these organizations that use it, like measure success? Is it like, through um, reviews from clients that have used it? Is it from like the retention rate from um, for like employees? Like what, what what's another like um, like measure of success? Yeah, so that's a great question. And the answer is, I think it changes depending on what the customer is trying to accomplish with their business. And it also changes depending on the type of their business. So I'll give you another example. Uh, we have a customer called uh, Boston Whaler. They are they they make uh, boats, um, usually kind of smaller pleasure craft. Uh, great great boats. They're very they're they're very unusual and, and kind of unique because they have this hull that and I don't know anything about boats boats, but I went and visited the factory. They have this hull that is kind of made of like this almost like a styrofoam like material that is super buoyant. And so they famously have this picture from when they started uh, as back in the sixties or seventies, they got this technology where they had, they had taken a boat and they'd sawed it in half. Like they'd sawed the front off and they're sailing through, you know, the, the, the ocean and it, it just wouldn't sink. Right. The water's like pouring in and stuff. And so they call them unsinkable boats. And um, they're based in North Florida, not Boston. <laughs> so, so we're down there in North Florida and uh, what, and I was visiting them and they said, you know, what, what we have done here is we have hooked the administrate system and the training data that's within it up to the manufacturing resource planning software for the factory. And they had two goals. They wanted to double the size of the factory and double the lines of boats. They had a couple of new models that were like really big and it'd be very lucrative for them. Um, double the, the production capacity. And that meant doubling the headcount. And they wanted to do this within 18 months. And so, you know, it's not like a software company. They actually had to like build out all this new assembly line stuff and, and whatever. 
And they, they used training data to accelerate their progress towards those goals in a couple of ways. The first was they were hiring all these people and they would put them in practical class activities. Like here's how to fiberglass a hull, for example. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you've worked fiberglassing at another manufacturer of any kind, you're gonna have to relearn it for, for ships or Boston Wheeler specifics. And, um, you know, it wouldn't go so well the first time. Right. And, and that was normal, but what happened was people were like, Oh my goodness, I'm still in my probation period. And that didn't go well. And that fiberglass job was terrible and I'm going to get fired. And so I'll just start looking for another job and they'd quit. Right. And so what they started to do is they started to look at the, the performance during the training programs and they would zero in and say, okay, this person did not do well, but that's normal. And they would talk to them. And so we got there and the head of HR was like, the training team has reduced our involuntary turnover on employees by like half. Right. And so that was a huge business win for them. The second thing that they did is they started looking at and, and marrying up here are the errors that were made on the assembly line, you know, last week or yesterday, uh, here are the people that were working the line at that time in that area, and here are the training records. And so they started seeing patterns where people were making mistakes because they were either might have been out of date, or they even found an instance where there was an instructor that was teaching poorly. And so all the people that had had that instructor gone through, it. and so by by basically just looking at the training data and looking at the errors that were happening in the manufacturing assembly line. They could go in and pinpoint and retrain those people, uh, get them back to the point where they were assembling things correctly. Um, and they even integrated the training materials on the, the factory floor. So if you had a job to install a propeller, uh, they you could pull up right from within the computer that was right there on the assembly line, the reference materials, the classes that you'd taken on this and so forth, just to get a refresher. And so these types of fairly simple interventions by just linking together two systems that historically never been linked and nobody had ever thought to link them before, they reduce manufacturing errors. And as a as a any manufacturer will tell you that is that is could be millions of dollars, even just a couple of points reduction on on your manufacturing errors. So it's a really interesting um, application, and I I would say that just. Whatever the business problem is, uh, if you can't relate training to to solving that problem, we've all got a problem. You know, the business has a problem. The training team has a problem because they can't justify their budget or get it expanded, um, and and the organization will suffer. Cool. So, like, um, those are really cool ROIs, by the way. Um, like, so I guess how how does like integration of AI and training lead to like further like higher returns on investments. Like, um, are, are there any more advanced things that you can do to get like the maximum amount of ROI back? Um, or is that, or is it still kind of a, a wild west where you're trying to figure out, you know, you know, which, uh, which thing gives you the best ROI? I, it's definitely still the wild west <laughs> just to, for starters. Um, and I, I think it's one of those things where, uh, we, because our customers have the freedom to experiment, that is a very good place to be. Because I think, you know, if people asked 10 different experts on AI today, like who are the, what are the 15 best tools, or whatever, we'll probably come up with fairly different lists, you know, and fairly different reasoning behind those lists. And my guess is two years from now, maybe half of those companies won't even be on those lists anymore and and so forth. So it's, it is definitely one of those things where, 
I think there's it's the Wild West. The people are going to want to place bets on AI and incorporating it. I think if you, half those bets pay off, that's a pretty good <laughs> that's a pretty good <laughs> estimate, you know. Uh, and and maybe it'll be less, and maybe it'll be more. But I, I where where I will challenge our customers to to think along the lines of is is those examples those were human powered insights, right? Where where can we find tools that will glean and garner those insights from the the system that's right there, you know, uh, and and bring those and bubble those up to the top because that's like you said, massive ROI and it could be done very quickly and you know the AI will never sleep and and that I think is is really really interesting and so yeah it's. Are there AI tools out there that can 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 deal with demand planning? Are there AI tools out there that can say, you know, this forecast looks off because you know you don't have the the inputs required to achieve that? Those types of things I think will be very interesting and will deliver outsized ROI. Cool. So for the um, some of the viewers here who are more familiar with like generative AI tools such as like ChatGPT. Um, can you give some examples of how you could use something like, uh, like ChatGPT to help accelerate the learning, um, content production, um, like, uh, some of it, some like simple things that they can do just to get a taste of it to see like, uh, if it's, if it's right for them. Yeah. So I think there's a number of low hanging fruit areas for generative AI. Uh, the first would be, <laughs> We've all seen some pretty dire training materials out there, you know, like uh, very unimaginative, or it's just walls of texts or you know clip art and so forth. So I think you know using AI to help you really spruce up the look and feel of your training materials is is a no brainer, right? And and there's a lot of research that shows that humans will equate uh, present presentational quality with much more highly with the, than actual quality, right? So if it looks good, uh, we're gonna we're gonna respond to it better than uh, you know if it is good in many cases. So getting and and this this applies to everything, right? Like internal training does not have to suck anymore. That that's kind of the the main message I would say. So that that's one, right? Like sprucing up look and feel, helping with images and all that type of things. Because clip art's expensive, time consuming to, and and we just don't all have taste, right? So the the second piece, what I which I think is a is a no brainer, is um, feeding the content that you have into a bot to be able to quickly help students either answer questions, uh, coach them or, you know, quiz them uh, in, in kind of like a training review style session, or, or even just um, point them to the resources that you have. Uh, managing content at scale for large enterprises is an exceptionally difficult job. You know, like a lot of our customers will have 8,000 plus pieces of content that is very, very difficult and it degrades over time as we all know. And, and so I think that that kind of library assistant bot or quiz bot, that type of thing is, is a very uh, powerful thing that you can do. You just need to have the data assembled to, to be able to hook into it. Um, in your opinion, like what's the, like what's the next frontier for AI in the trading sector? Are there any new trends or like tech that you're seeing on the horizon? Well, all of this is new in our industry, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, but yeah, I think there's a lot, there's a, the big trends that, that, that we're looking at is 
um, better content, right? Uh, better access to that content. So there's a lot of stuff that we can do there. Um, there is the contextual side of things. So uh, an AI can realize, hey, you're doing this job and we have training and resources about this job. Let's let's bring them to bear, right? And and I think that's another avenue where there'll be a lot of innovation. And that's a trend that I'm excited about. And then I think the last one is just that, uh, and this is something that a lot of people just aren't talking about right now, which is how do we how do we improve operational decision making and operational effectiveness by looking at our boring business data, um, and that that I think is going to be the category that provides by far the most outsized ROI. Um, everything else that I've mentioned can already be done today without AI. It's just slower and, and more annoying. The the operational analysis and, and looking at your your landscape and saying these are areas where you need to improve in, or you've got a constraint here. What are you going to do about that? That is that is uncharted frontier. Uh, that I'm really hoping that there will be a slew of apps that will, you know, be be charging towards that problem and uh, and will be supporting them with the infrastructure they need to get that data. Cool. Um, so I'm curious on your take on what the challenges are in the future with AI becoming more integrated in the training landscape. Like I'll give you an example of what I think would be a, a big example or a big challenge, which which is um, AI bias. So th there was a company called Coco, like K-O-K-O, -K -O, that did um, like talk therapy um, and it was through like a chat channel and they would have these, you know, these therapists would come on, chat with you about your problems. And um, what the CEO did uh, was that he swapped out some of the groups with um, an AI assisted um, generation. Uh, it, what could it was, possibly go wrong? Yeah, it, actually, it, it went it went really well. Uh, it wasn't full auto; like it it just um, produced the AI generated content. The therapist would then accept, reject, or edit the response. And what he found from the from the uh, that that research was that um, a lot of people wanted or like favored um, the AI, AI generated response over the human response, which I thought was really astounding. Um, but when they found out that it was actually AI generated, um, that's when the benefits dropped. And so um, basically, long story short, um, people have this innate bias towards AI, even though it does perform better than humans in that context. Um, so like, uh, I guess going back to the question, like, but you know, my, my, my answer would be AI bias in terms of like challenges that are um, gonna be on the horizon or like trying to integrate um, AI into these training uh, landscapes. Like, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. We could probably talk for an entire couple of hours on this because I think there's a lot of facets to this. Um, there's no question, and I was a little bit shocked by this. And you know, I we'd been doing a little bit of R and D, and I even personally built a, a chat bot that would kind of run over a curated data set that I had, and and you know, be it try to answer questions on it and so forth. And I was really, really surprised at how quickly the bot would hallucinate, right? And just give like really wrong answers to fairly simple questions. Um, and what I found was that actually when that was happening, usually the underlying major cause for that that I could tell was because 
the data was not assembled in the right way or fed in and my chunking was off and my vector database was not, you know, quite set up. And, and these are just things that you, you got to tune and, and learn by trial and error, but it, it actually, you know, kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there's some, there's definitely some risks here that I think we need to go slow and, and like your example of the the AI generated response and then a human like kind of edits that or whatever. I, I think that that's a, that's a very interesting and probably good application of that. Right. Uh, you know, not all of us are great writers. Um, and my guess is some of the best therapists are not that great at writing because it's not what they were trained to do. And so I'm not surprised that like an AI would be able to, to generate a, a better response there. Um, but I, I, I definitely think there needs to be uh, rigorous testing and um, the, an appreciation for the challenge in, in terms of like inaccurate information and so forth. Um, I think that, you know, certainly there will people be there will be people biased against using AI no matter what, right? We in our own company, <laughs> we had folks that were like, "Why are we using an AI voiced thing?" <laughs> you know, all it was was trying to cut down this job of reading a transcript out. You know, and and I thought that was a pretty open and shut thing of like, yeah, as long as the voice is not too robotic, like, no, who's gonna have a problem with this? Well, people are like, oh, that's removing the humanity from the discussion and all it's like, okay, like uh, I get that people are biased, biased against the, the use and, and, and a little bit worried about stuff. Um, I also think that um, there's that huge thorny problem of a lot of these models are biased because they were trained on data sets that were biased, you know? So, you know, the, the training is, there's all sorts of problems with it that, that we could talk a lot about where, you know, masculine, you know, predominantly white, less people of color, all that, all that stuff. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not I wouldn't say I'm necessarily surprised. It's like, you know, you, you average all of humanity's like content that is generated and it turns out it, <laughs> there's some problems there. Right. Um, but, you know, yeah. I, I think all of those are issues that need to be explored for sure. Yeah. The, um, the, the problem with the AI yeah, being biased is a big, a huge issue because of the fact that it's an unsupervised training uh, method and of the, the amount of data that's out there is too vast for like humans to just go through and like sort out, you know? So yeah. like, you know, you will, when you're doing these, when you're scraping um, like content in order to do the training, it's, it's very hard to, uh, to identify the, the bias content from it. I mean, like, unless of course you, you wrote like, and, you know, maybe an AI system that goes through and removes bias before it goes into a second system that does the training. But, um, you know, it's right now it's, it's a, it's a very big problem. And, and that's, that's why a lot of, um, people are moving into small language model, um, like generators, um, or it's like, uh, sorry, training. Um, that's because they can control like the data sets from it. Um, but again, that's, it's still, that's still a very big problem. Um, so I'm I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the roles of trainers and how they're going to evolve with the increasing adoption of AI tools. Are you, are we seeing them becoming more displaced so that they have to up or like reskill themselves to do something else to become more relevant? Are they going to be phased out entirely? Um, what's what's your thoughts on that? I think it's a, it's a great great question and. <clears throat> I think that my answer is pretty firmly, well, and I'll, I'll just, 
maybe I'll, I'll talk about my bias on answering that question. So uh, my mother is a teacher. My sister is a teacher. Uh, I used to teach English to, to make pocket money in summers, you know, in high school and so forth. Um, so, you know, I, I, my, my father ran a training company. <laughs> so there's a heavy bias to this answer. But I would say that um, for me, I, I think the great instructors, right, uh, great teachers are almost unassailable in in forever right um and the the re we all remember that one or those two or three teachers that really really impacted our life going through schools and we just we just all remember that incredible class and and maybe if we were lucky we got more than a few and and I think that that just speaks to how much value an exceptional teacher can can inject into a classroom setting, into students' lives, into retention and understanding of the subject matter. You know, I, I remember very very clearly, I utterly failed calculus one. I mean, like I just couldn't. I, the the guy that was teaching was great if you were into math, but I wasn't very good at it, and it was just like I will never get this. And then. I had this teacher that was transformative and I actually, I started loving calculus and it was just really, really amazing. Like how that was the, the X factor, if you will. So I think great teachers are here to stay um, forever. Um, that said, I do think that there is a significant transformation that's going to happen uh, for those of us who are not great teachers or don't like teaching, um, you know, or it's just actually, I was hired to, be an engineer and I'm not supposed to be teaching as part of my job, which is pretty common, you know, um, I think that that, that will, that will transition to um, other models or at least heavily augmented models of instruction. Um, we saw this with e-learning. There was a big pit push to put everything into e-learning. And I think that's retrenched a bit. And now blended learning is very common where you do kind of maybe pre and post work as e-learning or, you know, you do a, uh, parts of the coursework online and then and then you take a class for the rest i think that you know there are so many ways where you know for me struggling in math you know i could have really benefited from having a tutor that was just sitting there never getting tired and giving me problems and explaining when it wasn't and, and ai is actually very good at that for for very discrete tasks like that so i think that the it'll it'll be much more of a teacher's assistant model that we'll we'll see instruction involving towards and i think maybe uh even some of that that content that we dread sometimes where it's just click next 100 times in lms and take a weird quiz at the end maybe that goes away in favor of some ai instructional techniques and, and I, I think we'd all be very excited about that but i think great teaching is is here to stay and there's nothing's going to going to touch that um, in your opinion, what, what do you think are some like pitfalls on like relying too heavily on AI and training? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, rushing stuff out the door and, and going too fast is, is a pitfall that we all need to be uh, careful about. Um, once that trust is broken <laughs> with your, with your user, uh, it's hard to get back, you know? Um, so I think, I think that's a, that's an area. I think also um, there is, there's a certain uncompressibility in education and training that, that exists um, where it doesn't matter 
what techniques you're using or whatever. It just takes a certain amount of time for people to learn. Right. And, and so there's no substitute for, you know, hands-on work. I, you know, I see a lot of stuff where it's like mechanics with VR headsets and they're going to be wrenching and stuff. And like, yeah, that, that is cool, but there's, there's just no substitute for actually getting on the engine and, and doing the work yourself. And so I think we just need to to understand some of these limits that are going to be there. Um, and, and, you know, we don't have to solve every problem, but I think it's just zeroing in on what is the biggest ROI I can get. Like you said earlier in the, the, the episode that, you know, what is that? What is the biggest problem my, my company is facing and how can we deploy training and AI to tackle that and, and, and get a really outsized return. And, and then it doesn't matter so much on the, on the edges, uh, what, you know, what goes well or doesn't. Um, so as AI continues to dominate, you know, the conversation in, in many sectors, like, you know, uh, engineering, you know, like these automated coding, um, platforms, there's, you know, sales and marketing, there's, uh, you know, content creators, like what, um, advice would you give businesses that are still on the fence about trying to integrate AI into their ops? I think the, the simplest advice is just pick a couple of areas, pick, make a couple of bets, right. And, and see if they pay off. Um, I think, you know, the coding support thing is a, is a very interesting one, right? So, uh, like many people I've tried out, uh, GitHub's copilot, which if you don't know, um, it's kind of like a, a very sophisticated autocomplete, and so you'll be you'll be typing out code, and then the copilot will uh, basically show this grayed out block of code that if you uh, you know hit tab or whatever the the key is, it will then put that block of code in and and you're ready to go. And it's really strange because like you don't you're not really saying I'm trying to write a function to <laughs> iterate through this list and print out these values on on every row or, or you know something. Um, it just kind of like guesses based on what you know it's training data which is all the code in github which is a lot and and so forth and what i found was like it just was really like sometimes it'd be great and you're like oh yeah that's exactly what i was going for you know but often it would just be way off base and it was it was kind of like annoying because you can't really influence and tell it look i'm trying to write a function for this i mean you can you can write a function definition and it will sometimes try to fill it in, but it just wasn't very good. So I, I, I stopped paying for it. I found it to be really annoying. What I've found is like people, a lot of people who like it seem to to like it because they don't like to do the typing and they can get it to basically be a big autocomplete. So, you know, that, that was underwhelming, very underwhelming for me. Um, but what I have seen a lot of people have a lot of success in is they'll, they'll take a chunk of code and describe the bug and then paste it into to open AI. And uh, basically it will help you debug as if you had another engineering uh, colleague looking over your shoulder and, or it'll, you know, spit out like, you know, say, here's the problem or have you tried this? And I think that is really, really interesting. Um, and, and that for me, who is not a full-time coder, most of my projects are hobbyist ones. And usually I'm in a language or an environment that I'm not working in, you know, day in and day out. That to me is something that can speed up my, my results. And it means I don't have to spend all this time looking at stack overflow for answers to questions and so forth. So 
I mean, that that's just an example of basically it's the same bet, a, co- a tool to help coders code, but it's, it's two different applications and there are two pretty, pretty wildly divergent outcomes in my view. Um, and so I would just, I would just encourage people to, to think in terms of bet of, of these things are bets, you know, let, let's make a bet here and see it pay off. Um, and it doesn't have to pay off and, uh, and, and, you know, see, see how it goes. And then maybe six months later, it'll be totally different and probably GitHub Copilot will have already improved enough by now, two or three months after I tried it, that it's worth trying again. Yeah. I would, I would recommend you trying out a, uh, a product called Codium. It's free. Um, okay. You, are you familiar with that? No, no. Yeah, it's, I'm going to actually called, make, I'm gonna yeah, make called, a note of it. <laughs> it's called Codium. It's C-O-D-I-U-M. Um, it's free for non-enterprise. Okay. Um, no enterprise, you got to pay, but it's, yeah, you just try it out. It's exactly like it, Um, but it's, I, I think, but I, I think it performs a little bit better. Um, But I, I do agree with you. I In terms of like GitHub Auto uh, or Copilot, I'm getting maybe like 60% success rates. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, when I say 60%, it's typically for like very easy functions. But once like the functions become very um, ad- uh, complex or advanced or like uh, uh, very uh, multimodal, it, it, it will um, freak out. <laughs> um, but for like, you know, very simple things like, you know, write me a simple, uh, give me a skeleton of this function or like autocomplete like a print or something like that. It, it does it pretty well. But um, I, I do agree with you on those. Um so like, John, if I needed to get in touch with you, how would I do that? Yeah. You know, send me an email. Uh, my email address is john.peebles at getadministrate.com. Uh, send me an email. I do respond. Sometimes it takes me a little bit because I'll be traveling and stuff, but I'd love to hear from you that way. Hit me up on LinkedIn. <clears throat> uh, that's another great avenue. But uh, those are the two that that I that I monitor. And like I said, I'm not always super fast to respond, but but I'll get back to you for sure. And I'd love to continue any conversation or answer questions through through those mediums. And then uh, finally, um, for people who want to, uh, or like at least curious in taking AI and integrating it into training, um, do you have any like key takeaways or like final thoughts on, on uh, how you would approach it um, if you had to start over? Yeah, key takeaways for me would just be make sure you have a system of record so that you can access the data because any incorporation of AI is going to need to be fed from data from your environment. Uh, the second would be uh, make sure that system of record can integrate with all the other tools. You know, most companies have 10 to 12, 15 different learning products, um, and that's just part of that that kind of preparation mode. And then, and then lastly, it would just be, once you have those two things done, you can start placing those bets and um, I would, you know, keep them small. I'd keep them really focused on the the highest ROI that you can, you can achieve and, um, and then, yeah, see what, see what happens and send, send me an email and tell me how it works. Well, thanks for being on the show, John. And until next time, stay curious.